True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, among others. They'll do all of that so you can do literally anything else. You have better things to do with your free time than focus on your lawn care. Let True Green take care of all the hard work it takes to get a great lawn while you take care of everything else on your to-do list. You can trust True Green to give you the best lawn because they are the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. They offer a satisfaction guarantee and they have a verified best price promise, which gives you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. Think about how hard it is to manage our fantasy baseball teams. You need all the time you can get to put in waiver wire claims, fab bids, send out trades, and set your lineups. You'll have that extra time when True Green is taking care of your lawn. You do you, let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people, guaranteed. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together. And nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Oh, and first pitch, crushing! Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. 2023 felt like the year of the pitching prospect. Yuri Perez, Grayson Rodriguez, Bobby Miller, Tanner Bybee. In the words of Bill Goldberg, who's next? Welcome in to Fantasy Baseball Today on Thursday, December 21st. I am Frank Stanfield, joined by Scott White and Chris the Welsh. Today on the show, we'll break down the Welsh's top 10 pitching prospects for Dynasty and the top five proximity names to know for redraft leagues. And we do have some fun announcements later on as well. So I had the Goldberg quote up top. I know the Welsh used to be a wrestling guy. Yeah. But does Scott know who Bill Goldberg is? Ooh. I know Scott is not a wrestling guy, but Goldberg did play for the Georgia Bulldogs back in the day. That's that's what I was going to say. That's that's the <laughs> thing I know about him. I, I remember for the Falcons too. To, he he played he played in the NFL. I think he did. Is am I wrong about that? I what was reading his Wikipedia like? page earlier. This, see, this is the type of research I do for the podcast, and uh, I think he got drafted by the Rams. The was was he an offensive lineman? I think he was, was a, like a linebacker. Linebacker. A linebacker. Maybe a defensive okay. lineman. Yeah. Uh, you know, I didn't really become a Georgia fan until I started going to Georgia in 2002. So I I missed the era of. Goldberg, what's his first name? <laughs> I missed Bill. the era. Bill Goldberg. He did play for the Bill Falcons. Goldberg. Ah, missed, there you go. Look at me. I missed the era of him as a Georgia Bulldog and and no, did not follow him as a wrestler. However, Ooh. I do remember him being a much discussed 
wrestler in my high school years and uh, knew him as a wrestler before I even knew of him as a Georgia Bulldog. Do you know where he started? What wrestling? Could you know more than one wrestling company? No. Oh. Okay. Well, <laughs> there was WWF and WCW. Yeah. Uh, where do you think he started? Uh, WCW. Hey, we did it. That's Let's right. Go. 50%, baby. You had it. I mean, I kind of set that up there, too. Oh, there you go. Two, two minutes. Pick up on the subtext. Two minutes so. on Bill Goldberg and wrestling up at the top. There's nothing better yes. than that. You obviously. know what I was going to say, though, is. That your analogy would have been the best ever if it was like three years ago and you did the Goldberg thing, and then we could have said Gore because they always his finishing move, McKenzie Gore. Oh, it would have oh. been great, but McKenzie <laughs> Gore doesn't really. No, uh, no, nope, nope. we'll see. Maybe, maybe 2024 will be the year of Gore. Before we get into it, today is actually our last podcast before Christmas. So, Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays to all. We appreciate each and every one of you, but let's start with this. Uh, we're going to talk again about top 10 starting pitcher prospects, according to the Welsh. You could actually find Scott's top 30 pitching prospects on the website oh. right now. CBSSports.com slash fantasy baseball uh, slash fantasy slash baseball. So you can compare and contrast. You can read up on all those prospects as well. Welsh, I wanted to start with 10 step. You know, the old, there is no such thing as a pitching prospect. Talk to me about the famous and kind of where it originated and, and how much you believe in it. Yeah, um, God, I don't actually don't remember where it originated, but the somebody smart. I, I, you know. I think it was baseball prospectus. I think that's so not. I was gonna, yeah, I was gonna say for some reason HQ came to my mind, but I, I want to say that you're right about uh, that. Uh, I'll, I'll look it up. What okay, yeah. So I mean, basically, the concept is pretty straightforward. And if you go back, let's just even say over the last like ten years, and think about some of the top pitching prospects that have ruled the land at the tippy top. I'm going to name some off for you. Alex Reyes, top 10 unanimous starting pitching prospect. I just met him in the backfields of the Dodgers because he's not been good. Mackenzie Gore, Jesus Lazardo. Um, we, we could like continuously keep going on with the, they don't work Forrest, out. Forrest Whitley. For, thank you, Forrest Whitley. My God, maybe the, the tippy top of it. So the idea is the investment of the pitching prospect is a fallacy because they're volatile, they're injury prone. And as the years have gone on with Tommy Johns, you, you sometimes you don't want to invest in a pitching prospect until they've had Tommy John. Look at Andrew Painter. Andrew Painter was the last of that, I think it was a year and a half or maybe even this past, it was this past year, Top 10 prospect. He might break camp. He's the, the talents are through the roof and he's gone and he's out the 2024 season. So it really just originates from how we treat, you know, redraft leagues. Oh, hey, we don't want to go too heavy into um, pitchers, into drafts anymore. The pitching side has been that for such a long time because the pitching prospects that actually equate to the higher value I mean, the percentages are astronomically bad for guys. So, I mean, it's a bad sign for the Paul Skeens of the world and quite a handful of others. And my God, as well, go and look at anybody. You don't have to look at me. You can look at Scott. You can look at any Baseball America, wherever you want. Go and look at the volatility in like the top 10 or 15 pitching market for prospects over the last even three years, if you'd like. It is, uh, it, it is just a, a shuffled bunch of names. There are probably at least 50% new names every single year jumping up. So the, it's, it is just, you know, arms are to not be trusted. So investing heavily in Dynasty and on the prospect side is probably not the great investment uh, overall. 
The other side of the coin, and I don't know if this was the original meaning of tin step, which, yes, was coined by Baseball Prospectus. I, I don't know if this was the an, an original intention of there's no such thing as a pitching prospect, but you know, you, you talked about the, the high-end guys who bust, but like a lot of the pitchers that we now know as great pitchers were not that highly regarded as prospects. And to give a very recent example, and there are plenty of examples, but to give a very recent one, Spencer Strider never appeared on a major top 100 list. I'm trying to go back and check and see if he was on mine because I know I was higher on him than the consensus. But even I was lower on him than I wanted to be because there's all oh, relief risk. He's probably going to be a reliever. Uh, and now he's like the most coveted pitcher in fantasy. So it, it's just so scattershot. Like the, 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 there are, there are actually, there's no such thing as a pitching prospect. There are a ton of pitching prospects, like more than half of all pr- prospects are pitching prospects, but landing on the right order with any real accuracy, you're, it, it is, is kind of a, impossible endeavor like yeah. it's it, everybody it, it kind of feels like everybody's just guessing yeah i remember you know the other example of this from like a long time ago was max scherzer max scherzer coming up with the diamondbacks was like fun but nobody believed he was going to be able to go like really deep into games and a lot thought he was injury prone and they wanted to get him out there quickly and yeah it's just all changed two pitch pitchers are not really supposed to thrive that's a strider thing as starters and i really what i i personally believe is that the 10 step i 10 step idea has turned more into late investment of pitching. And like I just did my my P1 ADP mocks, which you both did with me. You'll you never, you rarely see me take a pitching prospect in the first four rounds. If I have 15 picks, I'm never gonna go over five of those being pitchers. And it's probably a sweet spot is three to four. And they're gonna be late because there's a lot of room for growth uh, for players that just have not been recognized and opportunity sometimes jumps up. But yeah, the 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 high-end guys, that investment in passing up like in bats, it's it's really tough, especially with all the great prospect bats we've talked about in this entire series. If people haven't uh, go back and catch up here on the feed, because we've talked about some amazing high-end prospects and the idea of like passing on one of those for uh, a Skeens or a Tiedemann or something like that. It, I don't know, it turns your stomach a little bit with, uh, you know, the stories of Andrew Painter and Forrest Whitley. Yeah. And from a dynasty perspective, again, when selecting players in your first year player draft, it's just, it feels like the hit rate on high draft picked position players is just much more likely than the pitchers that are taken in early rounds. And as Scott pointed out, a lot of the pitching prospects that do kind of emerge over years are names that either might get drafted in the middle rounds or even the later rounds or just kind of come out of nowhere. Uh, Jacob and we, DeGrom, and we another see one. It, we see it time after time when it comes to uh, these high-level pitching prospects. Let's get into uh, the, the names that we want to talk about. Obviously have to mention that Yoshinobu Yamamoto will technically be a prospect, and he would very clearly rank number one on this list. We spoke about him on a podcast last week. Still, as of now, at the time of recording, waiting to see where he's going to sign. But yes, he would very clearly be the number one pitching prospect. But for today's exercise, we will start with another name. And Welsh's number one outside of Yamamoto is Paul Skeens from the Pittsburgh Pirates, who was selected first overall in this year's draft, 2023, who is a 21-year-old, six foot six, features a huge fastball. We're talking averages like 98 miles per hour on the pitch. He has a plus slider, put up crazy numbers at LSU, made five starts towards the end of the season, got two of those in at double A. Uh, we know he has nasty stuff, Welsh, but 
he also took on a massive workload at LSU. Is that something that worries you long time, long term for Paul Skeens? Yeah, I actually think it's it's hilarious. And there's definitely someone out there that's like screaming because we did that whole thing about like, oh, the pitchers at the top. And then it's like, hey, guys, here's the top 10 pitchers <laughs> yeah. that you should be terrified about if you're going to invest in. And, and only one other thing I wanted to add, I recently decided I don't rank guys like Yamamoto as prospects anymore. I just don't want to do it. Like it, I think it, it convolutes lists. Hassan Kim convoluted the list. And I just, kind of, even though they technically are. So that's why, like, even when I sent this list over to Frank, I kind of gave a precursor, like, Hey, if, if we're talking Yamamoto, he is, he would be my number one. And if you guys have a first year player, I probably am not taking him uh, one or two, but like three is where I would lock in, but you could take him as high as that. But I just kind of decided to move away from it. The guy that you would be taking a long look at is Paul Skeens. And, you know, I mean, the time in LSU speaks wonders. The usage breeds concern for sure. But everybody outside of the usage, by the way, the big thing that happened in the draft was big analytics focusing on the fastball shape. That was like his big thing. People did not like the shape of his fastball. And that's, you know, usually going to be just like release point in how it ends up moving. And they just don't like overall that it had suboptimal shape. And that like back in the day with like Hunter Green and stuff like that, when you get like more straight line fastballs, just easier to hit. They're saying that shape is less optimal. So if he's hitting 102, it just isn't as good as you possibly think. But it hits 102. He <laughs> commands it. He has a crazy biting slider. And I'll tell you this. If you guys watched him in the College World Series, his changeup looked phenomenal. If he's commanding his changeup, that is going to be a huge strikeout pitch. And he was able to establish himself as a three-pitch pitcher. You know, something uh, Kumar Rocker, who had really great stuff in college and it obviously tapered back. He just never mastered that art of the third pitch. He, I interviewed him coming out of high school. And he was talking about trying to develop a changeup. He literally had an AFL game last AFL where he threw three innings of all changeups straight. I was just talking with someone about this today. And he was asked after the game and he said, yeah, they want me to work on a changeup. I mean, he's still working on that. Skeens already has that. I'm building all of this to say that I think the, regardless of the shape stuff, I think that's something that analytically the pirates are starting to push into that a little bit more that they can work a little bit more on the shape, but you're still talking about a commanded hundred plus mile, mile an hour fastball with a plus slider. And what I think can develop as a plus changeup for a guy that also can command big innings. Is he an injury risk? Absolutely. That, that type of workload with that big of a fastball injury risk. Does he have a history of it? Not that we're dealing with right now. So wow. for all intent, not now, but for all intents and purposes, this is why I put him at the tippy top. He is one. Of, he is the most pro ready pitcher to pitch in the majors right now with big stuff. The other side of the coin with the uh, the workload thing too is he has proven he can take on workload yeah. because a, a lot of really highly regarded pitching prospects. You go look at the game log; they're going three, four innings at a time. And you just don't know if their arm's capable of withstanding a true starter's workload. With In Skeen's case, I, I think it's more likely that he is. Uh, yeah, I, I find the hand-wringing over him and his fastball shape, not that it's completely invalid, but there's so much focus on it. I think just because the Pirates chose to take him over over uh, Dylan Cruz and, yeah. and Wyatt Langford to like can't miss huge upside outfield prospects. And so people are finding reasons like this is why they should have taken those outfielders instead of Paul Skeens. But like, if you look at, 
Well, there's no such thing as a pitching prospect. If you look at if, if if you're talking about how safe a pitching prospect is, I don't think it gets much better than Paul Skeens, given how proven he is in college. Uh, how how you know what what he does offer stuff wise. The fact that we're probably going to see him in the majors this year, even though he was just drafted, you know, barring an Andrew Painter situation, we're probably going to see him in the majors this year. So. When I say safe, that doesn't mean like Paul Skeens is definitely going to be an ace, but is he going to hold down a rotation spot in the majors? I think it's, I, I, I think it's a strong, you can, you can, you can feel good about betting yes on that. When do you think that we will see Paul Skeens? Because obviously he's a college pitcher. He seems pretty polished. The Pirates don't really have much need to push him, but my guess is we probably see this him at some point in 2024. Yeah. Yeah. This year. What, is that what you said? Yeah, yeah, but do you have like a, a projection? I, I don't think it's going to be like a- April or May. My guess is like well, maybe June at the earliest. I, don't know. I think we're still learning the timeline for prospect promotion since the new CBA, and it, it there there's a lot more emphasis on calling them up for the start of the season. I, I think if Paul Skeens shows he can handles it, he can handle it in spring training because it seems like a foregone conclusion he'll be up at some point in 2024. Why not put him in a position to 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 score them a draft pick if he does well. And I, I think there's a reasonable chance he could make the opening day roster. Has to earn it. But there are certainly openings in that Pirates rotation. I would agree with that. The only thing I want to add, and I was spending a lot on Skeens, though I would argue he deserves it, yeah. is that like I truly don't think we fully have a comprehension. I think we all could agree with this. We don't have a comprehension of what this new prospect world status and elevation is until we have a couple years, just like if we were to do projections, we want three years. I think following this coming season, we'll have a much better grasp at do teams follow the Tanner. Look at the, what the guardians did. It was Allen and Bybee and they're all coming up. And we saw Yuri Perez way more aggressive than we thought. If we see that happen again, and we see some of the guys we're talking about on this list right now, it's going to give us a clear answer going into next year where it's like, yeah, man, if a pitcher hits that high A to double A going into a season, anything is possible. It's really going to be about the organization itself and probably the markers that they have checked off. Like a Jacob Mizorowski probably wouldn't be because there's major command issues, but look at what happened with a guy like AJ smith Shaver. You know, so anything really is truly possible. I think we need one more year to start being a little bit more hyper-aggressive on our calls. All right, your number two pitching prospect, Welsh, is Robbie Snelling from the San Diego Padres, who was the 39th overall pick in the 2022 draft, a six foot three lefty who was dominant in his first professional season, a 182 ERA, a 112 whip, over a strikeout per inning. And I could be off base here, just kind of like poking around, looking at some other rankings, you know, Scott's rankings. Um, but this feels like an aggressive ranking on Robbie Snelling. Well, so you kind of feel like maybe you're ahead of the market on him as your number two pitching prospect. Absolutely. Yeah. And I would say prior to the AFL, this was Ricky Tiedemann. And this it was. I'm not suggesting it was Ricky Tiedemann. And I moved off of that after um, you know a lot of the things I talked about on here and seeing him. But a lot of this also has to do with the historic season that I mean, Robbie Snelling was an absolute monster. Uh, I don't know if you said the actual number, 1.82 ERA. He had over 22 starts in 103 and two innings, uh, three hundred and three point two innings pitched this year. He also moved three levels in the Padre system. He went from A to high A and was able to finish a double A. And guess what? The best 
production came from double A, where he had 19 strikeouts in 17 innings pitch. By the way, 118 strikeouts to 38 walks, only four total homers. And Snelling has got a really solid three pitch arsenal, an absolutely spinny fastball that he commands around, gets strikeouts, a loopy curveball, again, more spin. And he's got a changeup that's still going in a really great organization that hones in and harnesses a lot of these starting pitchers. And you also have a team that has needs at starting pitching, that they're in their window. They're losing players on contracts. Obviously, they need to find ways to, you know, maybe it's going to be Drew Thorpe, who they just traded for. I think that's a possibility. But Robbie Snelling is their best pitching prospect, and he might be one of the more underrated. So for what you're saying, yeah, like this is aggressive in the market, and it's aggressive to like what he just did last year. But I I think if he's not top five for people, it's underselling how dominant he was as a pitcher. And this is also a lefty. So I like everything about uh, I like everything about Robbie Snelling and he's 20 years old. And I, I would not be surprised if there was an A.J. Smith Shaver like push for him this coming year for a team that still needs it. They do not have a solidified five-man rotation. And these guys are proven to us, why waste these bullets? Why are they wasting bullets? There's a lot of pressure in San Diego as well. He is the clear-cut best pitching prospect for that team, even with Drew Thorpe out. And um, he's got a season, a full 100-inning season to back it up. So you could argue he could push 130-140. I have Robbie Snelling eighth among my pitcher prospects. Seventh if you don't have Yamamoto in there, I found I found that group that one through eight for me, if we're including Yamamoto, I found that to be kind of a tier. I do agree with you there, and I'm I'm noticing you have some different names in there than I do. Uh, looking ahead here at your rankings, so it's it, we, our names don't totally match up, but sorting out who I prefer between Robbie Snelling and um, Jackson Job. I thought was a difficult task. Hopefully I said that name right, Jackson Joe. You did. Yep. Yeah, you okay, that. good. With prospects, like I, I I, hardly ever hear the name. I just write the name. So I get it in my head how you're supposed to say it, and sometimes it's totally wrong. Yeah, Jackson Job of the Tigers. like, uh, Or even more so, Cade Horton and Robbie Snelling. Like I, Parsing between them, I found to be a near impossible task. So I put Snelling at the bottom, partly because he's, he's had fewer innings in the minors. He younger he he just turned 20 yesterday like literally yesterday as of this recording he turned 20 so i i don't really have anything negative to say about robbie snelling but that's why he's eighth for me while he's second for the welsh all right let's take our first break and when we return we will talk about the aforementioned jackson job right after this Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? 
And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools, and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. The area you live in is just as important as the house itself. You can get to know a neighborhood without ever setting foot in it. Say you're a really active person. You could find out about the nearest parks. Do they have a baseball field? Maybe you want to join a softball league like Chris and I play in. Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com, we've done your homework. Welcome back in, and let's pick that things back up with the Welch's number three pitching prospect. That is Jackson Job from the Detroit Tigers, a first-round pick back in 2021. The third overall pick, we've heard his name for a while now. He was drafted out of high school, so obviously they're going to slow play it a little bit here with him. He's now 21 years old. He's come along very nicely. He pitched out in the Arizona Fall League. By all accounts, sounds like he looked pretty good out there as well. He missed a chunk of time this season due to a... Uh, due to lumbar spine inflammation, so obviously worth mentioning that. Uh, in the AFL, he made four more starts, 287 ERA, 121 whip. He has a four-pitch mix, which features a slider with 3,000-plus RPM spin rate, so just elite-level spin rate on that slider. Welsh, did you have yeah. a chance to watch? Well, Go ahead, Scott. I want to put the 3,000 RPM in context because usually – Frequently throughout the season, you probably heard us raving about Charlie Morton's 3,000 RPM curveball. To get that on a slider, which arrives faster, obviously, that that is a rare quality in a slider. Yeah, even rarer than it is in a curveball. So um, I think I'm, I think I'm getting that right. Now I'm doubting myself, but yeah, I, I don't. It's a really impressive slider for Jackson Job, and we saw it reflected in the production this year. Go ahead, Welsh. Uh, you, you were asking, did I see him? Yeah, I was going to ask if you saw him out in the yeah. AFL, and if so, what did you think? Yeah, I caught, uh, I've, I think he pitched four starts. There could be five. I saw three of them. The The most exciting one was his their last start. It was actually Tiedemann versus Job, and then they both immediately left the AFL, so they were just done after four or five starts. And what was interesting is I compared those two against each other because Job is like, He's he's like a, a bulldog. He's very aggressive to me. Huge spin numbers. He's got multiple pitches he goes to. He was actually working on a cutter while he was out there. Talked to a couple of different prospects about like, you know, how difficult it was in the AFL when you don't know a guy's working on something. And what's interesting about the cutter, if you think about it, he has that huge spin slider, 3000 RPM cutters have uh, similarities and sometimes some cutters can be mistaken for sliders. And you think if that, that's essentially like probably a slider that just has the RPMs taken off of it with the bite. So you're now going fastball, a cutter, which is going to have a fastball look into slider movement, an insane slider. And then I want to say, I'm completely forgetting. I want to say, I think it's a changeup. Yeah. The changeup was out here. So here was my deal with Jackson Joe. I thought he looked elite. The command he was commanding the pitches. He had a little bit of issues in his very first start. Fourteen to one strikeout to walk ratio for Jackson Job in the minors this year. That 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 might impress me even more than than all the RPM on the slider is just how well he commanded everything. So one thing you'll notice too with Robbie Snelling, he doesn't walk guys. I love 
command. And there are plenty of guys that don't represent great command, but I, so I've always fell in love with George Kirby and uh, you know, Frank, remember at first pitch, I had got asked this question. It was like, Hey, who do you think could just arguably not Garrett Colby, the number one starting pitcher. And I was like, you know, uh, George Kirby, actually, you know, because if you add more of a strikeout element to your already elite command, I think that's a recipe for for big stuff. So in pitching prospects, when I can find like elite command guys, I think you can get past stuff. So here's my biggest problem with Jackson Job. Jackson Job was predictable. And when I was comparing him against Robbie Tiedemann, uh, Ricky Tiedemann, Robbie Snelling, Ricky Tiedemann, Ricky Tiedemann's stuff was great. And he had one of the best changeups I've seen in person. And he would just blow this fastball up high in the zone and just screw people up in, in the changeup as well. The problem is, is he didn't have the command, but Tiedemann wasn't afraid to throw you a changeup with the very first pitch. Jackson Job, like he was clockwork. And I think that's why he got hit up out here. So when I started to ask myself, what's easier to, to work and change your pitch mix or is it building command on your already set pitches, which by the way, Tiedemann's fastball does not equate to what Jackson Job's was. And I just determined that I thought this was a young kid who had a, um, who had a lot of power behind his body, great spin numbers, four pitches developing. And the biggest thing I picked on him was like, I could kind of tell what pitch was going to come and what count. And he didn't mix things up. I think that's fixable. And that's why I think he's easy to fall in love with. He's got some swagger, big strikeouts, no big walk issues. I think there's a lot to like about him and he does have the feel of like a frontline starter. So I like Joe, but I agree. It's like Skeens is in his own tier. I will say as much as I like Robbie Snelling, I, we are in like a tier range. I think if you wanted to have Job over Robbie Snelling, I think you can make the arguments. If anything, he's a four-pitch pitcher, Jackson Job is. And uh, the injury set him back, but you know the Tigers might want to push him up soon. Uh, the injury is really my only concern with Job. He, he, threw, he, 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 he made it only 64 innings, and, and so he hasn't proven that durability that's necessary. I mean, that that is a necessary hurdle to clear if you're going to be a major league starter. And some... Some big pitching prospects uh, never clear it. Nate Pearson comes to mind. He got another 20 in the AFL. They, he actually also, I'll just point out, he Joe went did, yeah. deep into games. That was one thing they let him do. Sometimes AFL guys will go like two innings or something. He was pitching like five or six. Like they they knew they had a plan. We're giving him, I think, four, whatever. I think it was five starts. Five starts. Right. He was going five or six innings per start. So they did build it up. But it, it doesn't take away from your point. He doesn't right. have a track record of good innings. And that's the stinky thing about pitching prospects. That's what kind of sets Skeens a little bit aside and Snelling is in a weird middle area, but there are plenty of pitchers that it's like, even if they're awesome this year and they do come up to the majors, are they in a Yuri situation? Like how much can they really go? And like, we all felt the effects of Yuri in season when uh, we were like, I don't know if we can trust him to get the innings on the back half of the season. So that, that would be my worry. Like for now for Jackson Job, if we were caring about this year. Yeah. Ultimately, I don't think it's a big deal. I think the, the positives far outweigh that one little concern but i have seen him lower in other rankings because of that concern just oh yeah. let's see him get to 80 innings let's see him get you say in the afl with the afl stats he did okay let's see him get to 100 innings you know before we totally anoint this guy as an ace in waiting the number four pitching prospect a name that we've already mentioned a few times already ricky tiedemann with the toronto blue jays who is a big dominant lefty who also suffered an injury riddled 2023 you look at the minor league numbers this year, 
He made 15 starts, but it's a little bit misleading because a lot of those outings were two, three inning outings for him. Uh, but on the opposite end of like what we're talking about with Jackson Job, Tiedemann has struggled with control, right? We've seen some big walk numbers. And Welch, I know that you had the chance to watch him closely in the AFL, and you pointed something out on Twitter about him potentially tipping his pitches. And I know like Eno Saris commented on that too. So I guess maybe point out what you saw. Obviously, there's still a lot to like because he's dominant, but like between the injuries and the control and potential tipping of pitches, you know, it's these are things that start to add up now for Tiedemann. Like, I want to love Ricky Tiedemann. Like, I love this guy. But yeah, there, there were like multiple and sometimes I'll like ignore warning signs. I can't ignore all of them. And the, the, the thing that I pointed out was I had these pictures and people are like, oh, whatever. But it was pointed out. Actually, Lance Brozdowski confirmed it for me in uh, some some data. Um, I think it was, it was a trackman data he got from the minor leagues, but there is a huge separation between fastball and breaking pitch so much. So my whole big point was I looked at every single video I have of, um, of Tiedemann and I called probably with 95% accuracy, what pitch was going to come based on when I would pause it at the top of his hand, you know, and the sarcastic people be like, Oh, okay. Well, the players can't pause it. That's not the point. You play enough baseball, you work at it. You these guys are trained to look for any little tip. Well, you had a severe tip where I might be mixing it up, but I believe he. Uh, if, if people are watching on the video, almost kind of vertical, his arm slot was was when he was throwing the breaking pitches, and then the fastball, his arm was out. And uh, what was confirmed is the separation between his breaking and fastball pitches was about, I think I think Lance said it was like seven inch difference, which would be the highest in all of baseball. The, the, the No player had that big of a differential between their fastball and their breaking pitch, or if you just want to highlight it as his uh, changeup. And the closest was Bryce Miller. So here was the deal. There's injury concerns. He gets wacky with his fastball. I'd also point out his fastball doesn't pop. He wasn't hitting like he could not command it at 94 in the AFL. He could command it at like he sat 92. Um, I'm sorry. He couldn't command it at like 96. When he sat around 92, 93, he could command it. So now it's like, okay, we can have a 92 mile an hour fastball. And there's some pitching tip issues. I don't know. There's just some warning signs, but it's one of the best changeups I've ever seen. He commands it at will. He, I think he can be a starter, will be a starter. But there's just some stuff that he might be one of those guys that we just look at and we're like, God, we like um, a Freddie Peralta type of guy. Like we all love Freddie Peralta. We're like, geez, this is so great. But then it's like injuries hold back and then those weird slumps. I'm, I wonder what major league hitters do against that big of a differential. It's something they can fix. But it's also something I don't have to put him as a top pitching prospect when there's literally like three red flags. Even though I will tell you, I probably love him more than like everybody. I I just I love the guy. I love the way he attacks pitchers. I think he's super smart. It's just like, eh, I don't know if I can do it. Well, you probably don't love him more than everybody because I have Ricky Tiedemann ranked ahead of both Jackson Job and Robbie Snelling. I don't know. You get the title. You can have Ricky. Having said all that you said. 16.8 16.8 K per nine. That's ridiculous. Is what Ricky Tiedemann just put up in 2023 and not counting the AFL 16.8 K per nine. And um, yeah, I, I mean, uh, I was reading about the arm slot issue for, for Ricky Tiedemann and it is something that seems to be a work in progress. Part of it is what makes his fastball a good swing and miss pitch is that lower arm angle with it, but the changeup doesn't play the same with that low arm angle. 
Change was an amazing pitch. Fastball gets a lot of swings and misses. One of those pitches is going to be compromised if he evens out the arm angle. And so I don't know how he's, I don't know how likely he is to fix it. But with 16.8K per nine, it could be that it's just, it just doesn't end up being a big deal. Double A hitters are different from major league hitters. I get that. But clearly, Ricky Tiedemann is, is hard to square up. And Lance thought that he was, by the way, he thought the like the differential was made a little too much about anything as well. Like he didn't disagree with me that there is a problem and there is a clear visual like this is a tip. But he thought like it's not maybe as big of a deal because at the end of the day, I think Eric Cross said this. It's like I raise this, which, by the way, we want to raise these questions like we should raise these things. Like if if there is concern, even if it doesn't end up being anything. And Cross was like, hey, listen, this is going on and he still dominated. I would argue like dominant changeups. They're not easy for like minor league hitters. And I don't know how many like 18, 19, 20 year old hitters are like hyper focus on picking up tipping pitches and stuff like that at that level. So I think there's adjustments to be had all around, but he's such a unique talent. Like I want to be in the Ricky Tiedemann business, but even I have to consider that there are some, some more, like it, it could be an epic fail or it could be a huge payoff if there is a discount. And and I'm not a part of the reason I think maybe I have Tiedemann higher than some of those other guys in spite of those risks. And I'm not totally sure with how I, how I've landed with this, if I'm satisfied with where I've landed with this, but given how unpredictable pitching prospects are in general, why elevate a guy on predictability? You know, like why not just sell out totally for upside if you're going for if if you are going to invest, so you believe there is prospect. a pitching prospect then, because then that is devoid of injury concern. That argument, which I'm kind of for, I like that. I've always said this. I'm a little gunslinger in the prospect wild west. Like I like to take chances and stuff like that, and I and I play the upside. My ranks represent a lot more upside than a lot of people. Pitching, it's just like this is the one spot where I'm kind of like. Also, on top of everything we've talked about, there's some serious injury risk. Tiedemann has had some serious injuries. There was almost concern there might be Tommy John mid this past season that no one really spoke about. He missed time with shoulder and biceps issues this year, which are pretty serious. But it's not. The only reason... Injuries aren't the only reason high-end pitching prospects fail. Sometimes they get to the majors and they're just not good. And so... I don't know. I'm 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 willing to aim a little more for upside if I'm going to make that like big it. investment in pitching. I like it. Scott is the uh, the Brett Favre of fantasy baseball this season. <laughs> we we <laughs> have we have heard it on the pitching previews already that we've done the recap. Scott is like selling out for upside. He can get well, like 50 innings most from touchdowns and most picks. <laughs> yeah, it's all take, good. W- with pitcher specifically, yes. Uh, let me. Um, let me take this a little further. I'm just saying, Scott, we've talked about four pitchers in 35 minutes. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll burn through. I'll I'll about burn to through bring the up another one. I'm about to bring up okay. another one because this we've we've leaped past this guy in my own rankings. I see the Welsh has him eighth, and his name has been brought up already. Andrew Painter. I I've noticed a trend within the prospecting world to just bury a pitcher when he has Tommy John surgery, and I've never really understood it because Tommy John surgery. Okay, he's not going to be around for a year, year and a half. But the effectiveness, this the effectiveness of that procedure is so well established at this point that for a prospect in particular, like I can wait, you know, I could wait a little longer. I understand they don't always come back the same, but they usually do. And and again, we're talking about an unpredictable class of prospect anyway. So I I don't 
I still have Andrew Painter third in my pitching rankings because I think he's that good. Even though he's recovering from Tommy John surgery, I still have him third. Uh, we will probably see him pitching in the majors next year. So I don't think it's that big of a setback for his development. I think his upside is incredible. That for a guy who's six foot seven and all that does for his fastball, his command is incredible. And he was on the verge of making the major league roster as a 20 year old last year. Was he, was he, had he, he even 20. turned 20 yet? No, he was, ni- he was 19 at the time. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I, I still have painter third just behind Yamamoto and, and Paul. Skeet. Let me add a little thing. And Frank, we can cross him off and we can burn right. through some of these others. But um, so let me give you one anecdotal thing. Cause I, I don't disagree with you. And, and I, I look at myself sometimes when I do that, like, I don't want to, I do think he's elite. He's young enough to take the surgery and come back. And, you know, maybe I even dinged him. I will say it. And, I never took him out of my top 100, which I kept. But like to your point, there are people that'll just take him off of lists and stuff like that. Um, and the surgery is very successful. Part of mine would be you just don't know, like the how long does this carry? Like Forrest Whitley, we would have had the same excuses back then. We're like, oh, he's elite and he's a surgery and this is great success and he comes back and then he's not right and he felt twinges and he repeated the AFL. So I think you should have some level of concern and you have to weigh the injury with the upside versus what else is in the market and compared to what else is on the market. I do believe there's at least five or six other guys that just don't have the current same risk. Other things I would, two other things I'd point out is I believe he's going to miss all of this year because I think if you remember, they waited and waited and waited and they had it in like July. So he won't pitch in 2024. He might pitch in the AFL next season. I I think I said 2025. No, you said 2024, but it's all good. I meant 2025. And then the last thing is in my prospect 180Ps that I do that we've cited, I do multiple drafts to create a prospect ADP system. He went five overall in one draft. Five overall of all prospects. That is, I think the highest pitcher outside of Yamamoto who we uh, made available that went in the entire draft. Now it didn't follow. It was only one draft. That's why I do multiple drafts, but the bank is still there for many into what your argument is. And he was five overall of all available prospects. So there are still plenty of people that share your sentiments. Again, it's just some of the, there's risk. There's pitchers are riskier than any other spot. Well, you brought up the Forrest Whitley thing, and I see that when 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 a pitch a high end pitching prospect busts like that, I take it more as them's the breaks. You invested mm. in a pitching prospect; it's going to happen sometimes. Rather than okay, let me figure out why we were wrong about Forrest Whitley and try to apply that to the future prospect rankings, because I just think that's an a losing bet to to try and do that. Uh, if there's any lesson to take from Forrest Whitley, it's you know, don't draft him as a top five prospect overall. Don't draft any pitcher as a as as a top five prospect overall because of that inherent risk. Yeah, yeah that I comes agree. With them. All right. Well, again, we've talked about five pitchers in forty minutes. I did want to get to the way through. Yeah, there you go. We got twenty minutes left Look to talk positives, about positives. Frank, come on. Five. We're doing great. We've got to talk about five pitchers. I wanted to do trade targets. There is some news to talk about. So anyway, I wanted to get to this earlier. I mentioned at the top that we had some announce announcements. So. Just quickly run through this. First up, we are proud to announce that FBT is a finalist for the best baseball podcast category in the Sports Podcast Awards. 
Thanks to all of our listeners. We actually won the award last year, and now we're looking to go back to back. So we do appreciate everyone who voted for us last year. And to help us bring home the hardware, you can find the link in the podcast and YouTube descriptions or scan the QR code in the top right corner of the screen if you're watching on YouTube. The whole process should take you less than a minute, and we'd really appreciate it. Thank you for your continued support. How many times a day can we vote? Uh, That's a great question. My guess is... You should try and max it out as much as Let's possible. Let's test it. Let's test it. Someone test it out and let us know how many times you can vote. Just keep <laughs> on going. Second, if you follow on social media, you've probably already heard the news, but our buddy here, the Welsh, will be joining Fantasy Pros full-time. I hope I didn't set that up like, he's joining us full-time. I didn't mean to say <laughs> Oh, The Welsh man. is joining Fantasy Pros full-time, and obviously it's awesome, and we're very happy for you. Congratulations. Many have asked, what does that mean for this podcast, where the is number one question I have been asked <laughs> out more than almost more than the congratulations has literally been. What about Frank Stample, Scott White, fantasy baseball today? And here is the answer is that the Welsh isn't going anywhere. He is still going to be sticking around with us in 2024. It might not be as scheduled, you know, definitely this day of the week, but we'll have him on sporadically and he'll be on and share his thoughts on prospects and, and baseball and all this other kind of crazy stuff. You're but, breaking people's hearts. No Welsh Wednesday is what you're saying. Uh, who knows? Maybe it will be a few Wednesdays mixed in there. But congratulations to you, buddy. We uh, it's, it's, it's awesome news. Thank you very much. I'm part of it. any other reason is I mean, I would say part of I can't say a part in 100. You guys played a huge role in that. And uh, you guys having me on every single week and not everybody hating me and people having me on and accepting and stuff like that. Those are the ways that people get to do stuff in the industry. And I uh, can't speak highly enough of everybody here at CBS. And uh, I'm kind of ecstatic that I get to stick around and do these. I mean, I'm, I say kind of like I'm super ecstatic and I love doing this show. And I uh, this has been a big, big part of me in the industry in my life. So I'm I'm very excited about my new opportunity with Fantasy Pros. They're amazing. And I am very excited I get to hang with you guys here. And we enjoy having you on. Let's take our final break. When we return, we'll get to the final five prospects. We got some news to talk about. We'll do that right after this. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back in. Here's how this is going to work. I can't have you guys both weigh in on every single prospect that we have left. So, Welsh, I'm going to throw two names your way, and then, Scott, you'll get Max Meyer after that. But the names you'll get, Welsh, Cade Horton, who was a first-round pick with the Cubs in 2022, just had a very successful pro debut season. 265 ERA, a one whip on the nose, well over a strikeout per inning. He is 22 years old. He made six starts at double-A. I think there's a chance we could see him up at some point this season. The other name 
is Hurston Waldrip of Scott's Atlanta Braves. First round pick in this year's draft, 24th overall, already made a huge impression, and he just feels like someone that could fly up through the system. He already made eight starts in the minors, three at double A, one at triple A, just crazy stuff. Three pitch legit mix on all three pitches. Uh, And not to disparage the other pitchers on this list, Hurston Waldrip kind of feels like the one that has enough upside where he can kind of move to the top, right? Like by midseason, he could be like the number one pitching prospect in baseball. It it has that feel. Welsh, give me your thoughts on Waldrip and Kate Horton. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I took him in my prospect 180Ps. I took him in the fifth round. That was the only pitcher I took in the top 10 rounds, I think. I agree. I kind of don't even like my own personal rank of it. Uh, I want to keep pushing him up. I want to be in business. I have a little bit of question if he does have impact this year because they you know, kind of get your rotation set. I guess Elder could completely fall apart. You've got Sh- Smith Shaver, who's kind of the next man up. But Waldrip, I had somebody tell me, in the early draft process when we were still in college and stuff last year that Hurston Waldrop, if not for command might be perceived as a exponentially better pitcher than Paul Skeens. Like he would be the guy cause they love the stuff. They love the fastball, this splitter that he throws big strikeout pitch. I love Hurston Waldrop. I love that you get him at some type of a discount. You don't Paul pay Paul Skeens uh, prices, if I had a lower pick in the Scott White League, I'd probably be targeting him. If I had a pick in the five or six range, just letting everybody know. I think he is probably, of all these pitchers we're going to talk about, he is probably my favorite combination of cost versus um, investment or uh, upside. Cost versus upside that I want to have if I were starting a new fresh draft. Nothing to take away from uh, Kate Horton because he's dominant, big fastball, big uh kind of fresh arm uh, out of college as well. 117 strikeouts this past year, only 27 walks. Again, give me command pounds. The zone has an opportunity to go, but the more I'm talking about it out loud, I think I might, I think I probably need to put Waldrop above Horton. Cause I really do love him. And I love seeing Scott's face when I talk positive <laughs> about a Braves pitcher like that. How, how do you, well, I know we can't ask the questions, but Aladdin. how do you have, no, that's all right. I, I was going to, Kind of break what I said, and all right, Scott, I'll give you the opportunity. Eleven about Hurston Waldrop. Yeah, eleventh, tenth. If you remove Yamamoto, he's mine. He's mine. Then you can have Tiedemann. <laughs> I get Waldrop. I, I am a little surprised how many uh, rank AJ Smith Shaver ahead of Waldrop in the Brave system, and I think that made me a little hesitant to go completely head over heels for him. But I don't think uh, it's really a contest which of those two is better. Waldrop with the big strikeout potential, that splitter dropping off a cliff with this he has this overhand motion that isn't really in vogue in today's game but it really makes that splitter such a nasty pitch yeah has to sort out command but the braves are like rocketing waldrop through the system the way they did with smith shaver and spencer strider uh already making it to triple a before the end of you know his 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 two months in the minors sort of like uh the rangers did with wyatt langford so i like what you said though frank I like what you said that I think he could legit be like midseason. If you were to give me all these names and say, who's the guy that could be like the number one and don't give me like one and two, I would say Waldrop. Like I a hundred percent agree. Like he could be the number one. He could have another like sub two ERA with all the strikeouts in the world. And the command is if the, I think when lists get updated, like people are going to come off of the Smith Shaver for Waldrop, as long as they feel confident about the command. Yeah, it just comes down to that. He walked 16, Hurston Waldrop did, in 29 in the third innings. That That is just not going to be feasible. That's not going to cut it. But, 
Mm, the stuff is tantalizing. Your number seven pitching prospect is Max Meyer from the Marlins, former third overall pick back in 2020, who actually made two starts in the majors uh, back in, I guess that would have been 2022. He underwent Tommy John surgery in August of that year, and uh, he will now be 18 months removed from that surgery by the time pitchers and catchers report. So it should be all systems go here for Max Meyer. Scott, you will get the first crack here. Uh, dominant minor league career, a nasty slider, uh, an organization that knows how to develop pitching. There is a lot to like with Meyer. It's just how many innings are we going to get this season, the first year back off Tommy John surgery? Well, and, and this is why I, there, there seems like uh, there's a contradiction here that I don't really understand because you said Max Meyer had a dominant minor league career. He was good in the minors, not nearly as good as Andrew Painter. We haven't seen Max Meyer come back from Tommy John surgery yet, just like Andrew Painter. So I don't understand ranking Meyer. But well, you're getting a whole Painter year out of him in the majors. As the Welsh is, well, I'm, but, yeah, I'm getting a full year, and I'm and I mean he's already major league ready. And I'm not arguing that Painter like isn't, but May Meyer has hit the majors. And so that, he is ready to pitch this year. That year is worth so much to you in a dynasty league that you will take the lesser pitcher. I mean, if you I think, think he is clearly if, the lesser pitcher, if you think he's a mind. tier less different, I don't think he is clearly. I, I mean, again, I get influenced sometimes by certain things. You know what influences me? Asking no, I asked Nolan Gorman, who is the most dominant pitcher you have faced in your minor league career? Without hesitation, he looked at me and said, Max Mayer. He's like, he's the nastiest pitcher I've ever faced from a stuff and a mix combination. So again, like Andrew Painter might be a tier above, but like we know he has recovered from his injury. He will have a full year ahead. I have them. Well, we don't know if he's super close. I have them super close in my overall ranks. I'll point out. We don't have, we don't know if Max Meyer is the same and his arsenal's built on the slider, which is especially tough on the yeah. elbow. I, I, What's funny about this is I kind of felt like I had to make my case for ranking Max Meyer as high as 16th because I think a lot of people are going to leave him off like their top 100 list uh, this upcoming season. And I'm ranking him 16th in my starting pitcher rankings, but you have Max Meyer 7th. So I'm feeling like, okay, I got to play devil's advocate here. Sure. Um, the thing to remember about, to put a positive spin on it, the thing, a couple things to remember about Max Meyer, he had just mastered the changeup that the Marlins were like teaching all of their young pitchers at that time. It was like mm. the patented Marlins changeup, and Max Meyer had just mastered it prior to getting called up to the majors. If you just look at the 2022 stats before the elbow surgery, you know, 369 ERA in the minors doesn't blow you away. His first six starts at AAA that year, 172 ERA, 0.86 whip, 11.2K per nine. That's when the elbow trouble started. It didn't start with Tommy John surgery, but that's when he first started having issues with his elbow. And I, I wonder what Max Meyer's 2022 stats would have looked like if he hadn't continued to pitch through that elbow injury based on that 172 ERA to start out. All right, let's keep things moving. We mentioned Andrew Painter earlier, who is the Welsh's number eight pitching prospect. Number nine is Jacob Mizierowski from the Milwaukee Brewers, who was a second round pick in 2022. Very unique pitching prospect. Big, long, lanky right-handed pitcher, six foot seven, massive strikeout potential. We're talking 110 strikeouts over 71 and a third innings, and he pitched in the Futures game. He turned heads. He was amazing in that. But this is that kind of, I think, high upside, high risk pitching prospect because there's there is bullpen risk because we're talking about not great control here, 
Welsh, your thoughts on uh, Mizorowski? Yeah, you nailed it. I mean, he is absolutely electric with the fastball, and he destroyed guy. I mean, his slider in the Futures game just made everybody just want to throw up. Like, he is a disgusting, long-limbed pitcher who has massive control problems. So, again, like, you can weigh all your own risks. Like, you could argue massive control issues are as risky as downgrading a pitcher with, uh, like, arm problems, you know, that is like Tommy John but I have Andrew Painter above Mizrowski, but you could argue Mizrowski's top two pitches, if commanded, I mean, he'll be one of the most elite pitchers out there, but he could also go the way of Mason Miller and be in the back end of a bullpen. But I like pitchers like that. Those guys that have electric, electric stuff, where if it doesn't work out as a starter, I know they can go back to the bullpen. I can stomach valuing those players. Like Mason Miller would be the same thing. If he goes to, if he's a closer, Obviously, I didn't get what I wanted, but now I've got a top flight closer. I like that. There's plenty of pitches you can look at and you're like, nah, I don't know, that guy would, you know, he might be a middle of relief, maybe long. Mizorowski is a guy you can like instantly put as a setup man. And then when given the opportunity, he is closer material if he doesn't work as a starter. I feel very confident about that. And as somebody who has Mizorowski in the Scott White mm-hmm. Dynasty League, something that I like about him is that he's in the Brewers organization. This is an org that has developed Brandon Woodruff and Corbin Burns and Freddie Peralta and pitcher after pitcher. They've done a really None good job. None of them was like a huge prospect either. Yeah, so I, I'm pretty excited about him, but I, I do realize there is some reliever bullpen risk if he cannot improve on that control. Last name here is number 10, A.J. smith Shaver from Scott's Atlanta Braves, who started the season this year as a 20-year-old in high A and wound up making it to the majors, which is like unheard of territory. Just crazy crazy the way that they pushed him this season. He had an awesome season in the minors uh, and wasn't as dominant in uh, once he got to the Braves, 25 and a third innings, 426 ERA, 111 whip, strikeout to walk ratio, not very good. Scott, I'm going to throw this one your way and I'm going to be hard on him because obviously he's young. Look, he's only 21 years old. It's his first taste of adversity. But just the things that we use to measure pitchers, strikeout to walk ratio, uh, the low spin rates, low whiffs, bad control, I was not really impressed by it. And saying all that, I realize he's very young and obviously he can improve in the offseason. You know, I kind of agree with you. I'm, I'm, I, I rank A.J. Smith-Shawver 17th. And part of the reason I rank him 17th is because so many others are high on him. It's the league Corso. Uh, what's the thing Lee Corso always says? That means somebody knows something I don't know, and I'm going with that someone. <laughs> but that still made AJ Smith Shaver only 17th for me. He throws hard, he moved fast, he was raw to start out. So maybe people are projecting a lot more growth onto him than I am capable of seeing. Uh, but I, you know, he's 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 a name, and he's a name, and he's already gotten exposed to the majors. I guess, um, I guess I we really need to hear why. The Welsh likes AJ Smith Shaver so much. He would be the one to answer that. I just want to squeeze a couple more names in here in contrast to that because two guys I have in my top 10 who aren't in your top 10, and I would definitely take over AJ Smith Shaver, are Kyle Harrison of the Giants, who, of course, we saw late last year and I think looked more impressive than Smith Shaver, and uh, Daniel Espino, another guy coming off injury. His to the shoulder, which is more concerning, 
more risk there with Daniel Espino, but the numbers were just absurd before he su- suffered that shoulder injury. So I'm I'm still I'm still willing to take the risk on Espino. Yeah, the ten cent tour. Um, I mean Smith Smith Shavers is built a, a lot around like there's a multi pitch combination at a really young age that was trusted into a rotation, and there's proximity, and you're getting we're starting to get into a range of like I love Noble Meyer. I think Noble Meyer is someone like. I want to invest in a first-year player. I think he could be elite. But like, he's right. I have Noble Meyer right after Smith Schaffer. Yeah. So, but but it's like, would you want like you want like a high school pitcher coming out and want to try to wait three years? That's the risk. Or do you want to take like a young pitcher in a great organization for developing pitching an off season to then come in and readjust that? So that's kind of my Smith Schaffer. So I'm not like enamored, but there's a proximity thing. Um, the other two guys, Cal Harrison, you want to talk about command issues as command issues as command issues exist. Well, but they got Cal. so much better. They, they did. They weren't, they weren't an issue in the majors. He's 11. Like he's like, right. He's like okay. the next guy here. So it's, it's not far off. Espino, I'm very far off on. I love him, but there are nothing but injury risk. He's also completely yeah. changed his body. I was, I remember talking with him when he was in rookie ball. He looks like a different human being now. Big muscular guy learning to kind of work with all of that. And he's had major arm issues and he could be electric, but he also to me feels like he could go the Mason Miller route. Just can't get healthy, getting low innings. And then all of a sudden they just say, maybe we put him in the back of the bullpen. Not saying that's going to happen. He well, is a shoulder capsule. So a lot of things could go wrong for Daniel Espino at this point. Yeah. But so that I, I is think just, the upside is like legitimate top five in baseball kind of pitcher. Upside. Only other, only like philosophical thing I throw out to you too. is like, you know, you said on that last episode I was with you guy with you on like with pitching prospects, you're just like, or with pitching in general, you're just like, I'm in, I want strikeouts. I'm not on the other noise. I think you have a similar take in your prospects and that's okay. If you want to talk yeah. about pure upside, Daniel Espino and Andrew Painter belong in the top five. This yep. is not even a question. If you want to just only focus on upside and nothing else, I, Tita, I, I, and you can put in there not, as well. not top five. Yeah, yeah, but I'm yeah, just get, like the, the argument. You know where I'm going with that. Yeah. I'm trying to contextualize as best as I can the risks that I weigh, and some of them are injury based, some of them are command based, and sometimes I cater to some other spots. I cater to command pitchers a little bit better, and I sometimes I don't cater as much to proximity as other people, but. I, I, I have that weighted here, and I think it's interesting that you are a little bit off of the proximity, which is good, and you are just hyper-focused on pure upside talent, and that's not a bad way to approach prospects either. Just people have to be aware of the inherent risk, especially with pitchers. Can I take just like a minute to rattle off a few pet prospect, <laughs> pet prospect pitchers who I'll never get a chance to talk about otherwise? And they're a little lower in the rankings for me, but... I want to emphasize them specifically because of swinging strike rate, which is what popped for me on Spencer Strider, and I, I think I think it could we could potentially see some uh, surprise breakthroughs here with this this trio as well. Carson Wisenhunt of the Giants, insane changeup, one of the best changeups in all of my him and um, him and Ricky Tiedemann, the two best changeups I have seen in person. 18% swinging strike rate across three levels this past season for Wisenhunt. Uh, Christian Scott of the Mets, 17% swinging strike rate and a 69% strike rate. So like nice. crazy good command and Christian Scott was getting the whiffs too. I, I think he's being overlooked because he was a reliever in college and um, that that's st- still being held against them, even though he, he showed 
in his first full year in the Mets organization that he could take on a full workload. Christian Scott is that one. And then maybe the biggest reach, Kyle Hurt of the Dodgers, who we actually saw in the majors. He made one appearance at the end of the season, went two innings, struck out three. I believe his first inning was against like Juan Soto, uh, Manny Machado, and uh, Fernando Tatis, and he just mowed them all down. Kyle Hurt in the minors had a 20% swinging strike rate this year, 14.9K per nine. He's 25 years old, which I think is what gets held against him. And, you know, the Dodgers don't exactly have an opening. So there's a lot of that relief concern for Kyle Hurt. But as somebody who that be the reason I kept Spencer Strider off my top 100 a couple years ago, I, I don't want to make the same mistake with Hurt. Maybe he'll just be a reliever, a dominant reliever. But if not, if he gets a chance to start, he could surprise people. And I will now throw out a few other names that the Welsh sent me as honorable mentions. Drew Thorpe, who was traded over to the Padres in the Juan Soto trade, who was one of the best pitchers in the minors this year. And my guess will make some starts in the majors for the Padres at some point this season. We broke him down extensively on the Juan Soto emergency podcast. You can go back and listen to that. And on the other side of the coin, Will Warren, who's actually in the Yankees organization. Another one where I think he's like now 24 years old. He could make an impact for that team. They have some injury risk in their rotation. Carlos Rodon, Nestor Cortez coming back from injury. Uh, As of now, he is their SP5. My guess is they'll bring at least one, maybe two two more They publicly said it. They publicly said that Will Warren and, God, I'm forgetting the other person now. It's escaping me. But Will Warren and maybe Chase Hampton it was. I I can't remember. Clayton Beater. uh, yeah, yeah, it might be Beater, who's a former Dodger pitcher. Um, they were vying for that five that five spot. So, yeah. Will Warren, I, I, I'm glad that you mentioned Thorpe and Warren because I'm, I really, really like them. And I had Thorpe in this 10 to just talk about for the sake of it, but I, I, I adjusted. I put Smith Shaver in for our last one. Yeah, Will Warren needs to improve the control like many of these pitching prospects we talk about. Kind of unique, like low 90s with a sinker, but he has a sweeper that has over 3,000 RPM on the spin rate. So again, it's that's kind of the pitch that's taking over baseball right now, and Will Warren has it. So that that's something that obviously I like to hear in a pitching prospect. In terms of the proximity names, the five that will and should make an impact this season, number one is Paul Skeens with the Pirates. Number two is Kate Horton with the Cubs. Number three is Kyle Harrison, who we spoke about a little bit We saw at the end of the season with the Giants, his early ADP is 254. Uh, Number four is A.J. Smith-Shawver with the Braves. And number five is Jordan Wicks, a name that we have not talked about. He made his debut this year. Kind of unique in that he doesn't throw hard. He's kind of like the soft-tossing lefty, 91, 92 miles per hour. Change-up is his most used pitch. But you know what? He's in a rotation with a pitcher that has made a career out of that in Kyle Hendricks. So... Maybe he can learn a thing or two uh, from him. And my guess is Jordan Wicks will be in the Cubs rotation to open the season as well. I, I'd put Tiedemann on this list personally. He's like my number 100 pitcher in redraft leagues. I battled the whole like how I wanted to approach proximity and stuff like that. I just the innings, I left Job and Tiedemann off of it simply because of when they could come up and the innings impact. But yeah, I don't I don't disagree. Let's quickly wrap up with uh, some news. Ah, The news of the day, the last minute of the show. There's really not much going on, but something that I did want to mention, because it it does have fantasy relevance. The Padres are reportedly signing Japanese reliever Yuki Matsui, who has loads of experience as a closer in Japan. He's 28 years old, 236 career saves 
actually became the fastest ever to record 200 saves in Japan. A 243 ERA in his career, 110 whip, 12K per nine, but he's a lefty and he's only five foot eight. So some clear potential obstacles there for Yuki Matsui, but it has not affected him yet. Uh, his ability to obviously pitch and perform and, and be amazing. The Padres have a clear opening in their bullpen. They need a closer. So, Scott, I kind of feel like the first save opportunity, I think it's going to Yuki Matsui. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say, and they they may be dodgy about it right up to opening day. So I, I think Yuki Matsui is going to have a hard time eclipsing that late round range, even in leagues where saves are scarce, because I would be concerned that it would be a closing tandem with Robert Suarez, who they just signed to a big deal last year. Uh, and he throws right-handed while Matsui throws left-handed. Matsui doesn't throw especially hard. He's low 90s. I don't know if you mentioned that. Uh, the shape of his fastball is apparently good. Coming from a lower angle, him being five foot eight, that makes sense. And he pairs it with a splitter that drops off. So just maybe the, the, the contrast between those two pitches helps that fastball to play up for Matsui. Um, but I think, I think he's going to be more of a late-round target. I'd, I'd draft him over somebody like Will Smith, who probably has a more obvious path to saves with the Royals. But I, I don't think he's going to be like a top 20. He could become a top 20 reliever, but I don't think that's how Matsui will be targeted on draft day. And we actually have Greg Jewett coming on the podcast next week. We've talked about all the positions in the offseason so far, except for relief pitcher. So we can get his thoughts on where uh, he thinks the Padres are going to go in their bullpen as well. Some other quick news. It looks like David Stearns is bringing the Brew Crew to Queens because the Mets acquired Adrian Hauser and Tyrone Taylor in exchange for Coleman Crow, a solid depth move for the New York Mets. And as of now, Hauser is the SP4 in the rotation. Tyrone Taylor is penciled in as the starting left fielder. I say penciled because it's still early in the offseason. Things could change. But Tyrone Taylor has showed flashes in the past. You know, when he returned in the second half from his elbow injury, he hit 269, nine homers, five steals, and 854 OPS. Welsh, I think Tyrone Taylor is just a name you have to know in deeper leagues, if nothing else. Yeah, I mean, I think you bring him in so you solidify your fourth outfield. Uh, I would be shocked if he's a starter. But yeah, know him in deep leagues, maybe uh, NL-only leagues. You never know what is going to go on and how they're going to position this roster out. Ronnie Mauricio might have took away some flexibility, you know, like maybe they would have experimented with Vientos in the outfield a little bit more. He's been working in the offseason trying to get faster, but that clearly seems like that's going to be more platoony between like Beatty and him. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, early drafts, if you're doing like a draft and hold like 50 uh, round, yeah, you jump on that to maybe get some late categories, but I expect him to be a fourth outfielder for the team. More than anything, I think this move further clears the path for Jackson Chorio. Not to mention yeah, South yeah. Freelick and, and Garrett Mitchell. I mean, that could be the starting outfielder for the Brewers on opening day, which is pretty exciting for fantasy purposes. Another thing to think about with the Mets also is if they didn't fill that out, maybe you bring in a veteran to compete with a guy like Drew Gilbert. Not saying it's going to happen, but they acquired Drew Gilbert that maybe they experiment out with, um, you know, this was a college bat who's seen plenty already that maybe they give him a shot. Again, I think they bring somebody in, but yeah, this, this could have like dual effects of maybe showing that a guy like Gilbert gets a shot. And this is one more step where Cheerio is just locking in. I didn't forget about Yelich, by the way, I was thinking DH for Christian Yelich, but we'll see. 
one of my favorite players ever. Andrew McCutcheon has re-signed with the Pirates on a one-year, $5 million deal. Now 37 years old and utility only for fantasy. So not sure that there's much here uh, from a fantasy baseball perspective. Obviously worth mentioning. A name to know for, I guess, like NL only league, something like that. Uh, the Yankees got Jeter. Jeter Downs. They claimed him off waivers and just a fun name thing. I thought that was worth mentioning. Uh, and the latest rumors, John Morosi of MLB Network reports that the Angels have had recent dialogue with Blake Snell. Interesting. The Blue Jays apparently have some interest in Reese Hoskins and Justin Turner, maybe to fill their DH spot. And no deal yet for Yoshinobu Yamamoto, though there was at least one report that the Dodgers were planning to offer between $250 and $300 million. Again, today is our final podcast before Christmas, so Merry Christmas to everyone out there. Happy holidays. We appreciate each and every one of you, and we're going to wrap there. For Scott and the Welsh, I am Frank. Thanks, as always, for tuning in to Fantasy Baseball today. Please make sure to follow and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify, and we'll be back again next week. Bye-bye. Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now.